Hello and welcome to the Scottish Rugby Podcast, the only rugby podcast that cares about the Mooted Prince movie musical. I am Cami Black and joining me for the first time, it's our regular Edinburgh correspondent, Sandy Smith. Hey guys. Um, Sandy, it's your first time on the podcast, uh, so uh, we need to ask you what club socks you would wear if you were playing for the Barbarians. Oh yeah, I've been looking forward to this um, uh, ever since I started listening. <laughs> so uh, I hope you don't mind, I'm going to... Uh, go with two odd ones uh, because it seems to be the way. Um, I started playing rugby at school. My school was uh, called uh, Keel uh, and we played, uh, once you'd been in the first 15 there for five games, you got to have green socks with gold tops. Um, so that's on one foot. What, um, did they, what did they make you wear before that then? Well, before it was a, it was a, it was still a, a green sock, but it was a, as I recall, it was a straight green um, the, the, they called it getting your socks, and right. if you had played, if you had played five times, you were entitled to show that uh, that you were a regular member of the uh, of the, the first fifteen. So you got the you got the gold top socks rather than the stripy ones, um, which was which was much better. Uh, uh, I mean, the school's gone now, so uh, to be honest, if it, I'm glad this is notional because if it was for real, I'd really struggle to find a pair. To be fair, <laughs> so uh, uh, yeah, there's that, and then uh, and then. I played most of my club rugby for Kerstorfen, um uh, before they, they joined up with uh, Royal High, uh, and that was blue with red top. So uh, that was my that was my second uh, that was my main team for, for most of my rugby playing time. Good. Um, well, good to have you with us. Um, we'll get on to Edinburgh in a minute. Um, in the meantime, we need to tell people how they can get in touch with us. So I'm going to queue up some music. I've got the Magnum PI theme this week. So. We'll go with that. Um, don't forget, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Scott Rugby Blog or at Cami Black. You can email podcast at scottishrugbyblog.co.uk. Uh, this music's making me speak faster than normal. Um, face, we're on Facebook, Instagram, uh, and the blog scottishrugbyblog.co.uk, where you can catch up on the latest opinion pieces and match reports. If you're listening to this, you should know uh, that we uh, are on Acast, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, which is now a thing. Uh, as well as all the other podcast players. You can also leave us a review on there as well on Apple Podcasts. Uh, just And we have not, we've not had one in a while, but um, we have had one from the Harry Koo who says, uh, this is the best Scottish rugby uh, podcast by a length of a wee donkey wee touchfinder um, run for and by fan for by fans uh, and hosted by the inimitable Cami Black. Um, the praise for me. That's that's why I'm reading this out. Uh, it's sharper than a hoggy break and more cutting than a huge one's angle. The podcast has a sharp sense of humour, but never strays into the tiresome territory of rugby bants. It's a bit like Radio Scotland's Off the Ball for uh, for rugby. If Tam Cowan was replaced by a bearded Glaswegian with a degree of sensitivity to political correctness. Now John John's not with us tonight. It is his birthday. Um, Congratulations, he, John. <laughs> yeah, he he did say that he couldn't come on tonight mainly because he didn't think he'd be in any state to come on. Um, so whether or not uh, he's being sensitive to political correctness right now, who knows? Um, we do do leave us a review if you feel compelled to. Um, I've got no idea if it makes any difference at all in the grand scheme of things, but it's nice to feel appreciated. Uh, not that we're needy. Uh, if anybody who's followed the, our our uh, please for feedback feedback uh, knows uh, we've ploughed on with the. Uh, 
jingles regardless um despite their unpopularity um now last week we reviewed scotland men's performance over the autumn and as we were recording last week scotland women were contesting a very tight game against canada who are ranked fourth in the world um our own ruri campbell uh, of our ru are the ref section was actually um, a touch judge during that game i hadn't realized until uh, tonight um, but we caught up with gary heatley of gh media to talk about the women's series and the overall progress of the women's side Okay, um, we are joined now by Gary Heatley of GH Media to look back at the Scotland Women's Autumn Series. Um, they opened with a 38-0 loss away to Italy and last Tuesday lost narrowly 25-28 to Canada. Um, Gary, I know I know it's technically a, a three-test series because there's a game against Spain to come at the end of January, but I mean, do you think there were signs of progress over the autumn for Scotland women? Uh, there was definitely signs of uh, progress between the two games. Um, you know, I think the Italy game at the start of November, given where the team's come in the last year and a half, was a real kind of uh, a bit of a wake-up call for some of the players, a bit of a a slight backward step, really. I don't know, they just didn't um, didn't front up in that game at all. So, but what was great to see was that in the three weeks between that and the Canada game, they really obviously didn't go into their shells as, as they want sometimes, worked on a lot of things and... Um, yeah, the performance against Canada was, you know, was up there with the kind of best performances the last two or three years under Shade Monroe. Um, score four tries in a game as well and push the team that was fourth in the world so close was um, was great to see. Obviously, had a couple of chances to win it, which again is the next sort of step this team needs to take to to kind of close out games and perhaps better game management. But but yeah, to to push Canada so close after the way they played against Italy was was a really big step and. Um, and yeah, they've now got obviously a couple of months till they play Spain. Yeah, because Canada are currently, I think, fourth in the world, and Italy are um, seventh um, at the minute. So that I mean, that's a. I mean, was it a matter of time before Scotland maybe uh, started competing with the likes of Canada? Do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think it's obviously been a kind of um, a long program over the last two years. Obviously, a couple of years ago they won, got the monkey off the back and won a couple of Six Nations games last year. They beat Ireland away. Um, so as I say, the, the Italy performance was kind of, with the way the team and the squads kind of come on, the Italy performance really was kind of a bit, um, out of character. They just didn't get into the game at all. Italy played very well, but in the first 20 minutes, Scotland were kind of all over the place and they just couldn't get into the game. So, to, to you know, going into the Canada game, I wasn't quite sure what to expect. You know, Canada being on, a, on an autumn tour, they'd had three test matches in a row before this one. And um, yeah, when they went ahead 14-3 sort of early on in the first half, I thought, it's going to be difficult for Scotland to come back, but but Scotland showed a lot of composure. And Helen Nelson was very good at centre. Unfortunately, she had to go off injured just at the end of the first half. But but Scotland were up at half time by a point and went behind again in the second half. But then then came back again with a couple of tries. And as it was just down to maybe a couple of kicks and also I think it was seven minutes ago, Jade Jade Conkle was over the line and got the ball knocked out of her hand, which would have been Scotland's fifth try. So you know a penalty with three minutes to go that they missed. Which Lisa Thompson missed the captain, but on the night she was sort of third choice kicker with uh, Nelson and Lisa Martin having gone off. So yeah, it scored twenty five points against Canada it was was really good, and they did really push Canada hard. So you know, as they said on the night, that that now sets the standard of performance, and they've got to, you know, I think they've really got to go to Spain and win that game, and that would really set them up nicely for the Six Nations. 
Yeah, I mean, similar. I mean, I suppose similarly to the sort of men's team, is it? Do you think it's a problem of of playing away from home, or is it more just there, there was a lack of time to prepare as a team before the Italy game? Yeah, I think there was a bit of a bit of both. I mean, we spoke to players, spoke to Shane Monroe, the head coach, after that game. I was actually out in Italy, and he was, you know, scratching his head as to what happened because he thought the prep had been really good, but they just um, in the women's team, there tends to be a if they do make mistakes, they compound it by mistakes or some of the players go into their shells, or that has been the case in the past, and that seemed to happen in Italy. In the Canada game, there was a lot more kind of togetherness, or move on to the next, uh, move on to the next phase. Uh, that their work at the breakdown was a lot better. It looked a lot more sort of clinical and a lot more cohesion in the team. So, yeah, perhaps there was just a, a lack of time together before the, the Italy game because the women's team haven't always had games at this time of the year, but. Um, but now the squad trained a lot more together, so I think it was just a kind of blip in the in the road, if you like. And um, yeah, I'd say hopefully that kind of performance is is the standard that we see going forward. And and in terms, I mean, looking at the two teams for for both games, there was very. I think the only changes were Jade Conco coming in at eight and Rachel McLachlan coming in at seven um, against Canada. But it, I mean, it, it's quite a settled fifteen. Do you think? I mean, it, do you think? Shade, that's because Shade Monroe has a better idea now about who his best 15 is yeah I, mean, I think he knows pretty well what his, his sort of best 15 is I mean he's still trying to grow the grow the competition levels I guess um, yeah as you mentioned for the Canada game having Jade back who's you know the best ball carrier really number 8 and has got 30 odd caps you know she only played 60 minutes for Harlequin's reserves I think it was before she came back into this game but you wouldn't have known that the way she played on the uh, on Tuesday, and I think she just gives the team a big lift with the way she kind of, um, as she carries ball, but also just the way she commands herself on the pitch. Um, McLaughlin's a young back row whose background's in judo. She's only 19, but she came off the bench in Italy and then started that game. And she said, you know, she's an out and out seven, so she's sort of put her, put her hand up for selection. Um, there's still some sort of key players missing through injury. Rachel Malcolm will play hooker or back row. Deborah McCormack plays second row, um, and Hannah Smith who plays in the in the backs. But you know, with those three to come back, apart from that, the squad's kind of quite settled. I think there's still um, a few places to fight for, but um, yeah, they they seem to be quite a settled team now, and uh, hopefully, no more injuries heading into sort of the January and February and March games. Yeah, I mean, when we looked back at the men's autumn tests, what we did, we we, we looked at sort of what what do we know and what. Do do we still not know after those two tests? So what I mean, what what would you say that the you know what what do you think Scotland have found out about themselves over those two tests? I guess what they found out really is you know that they can compete with these teams. You know I think as I say it's a kind of trait of, of the women's team has been that if they make mistakes they complain about other mistakes and don't really believe in themselves and that seemed to happen in Italy. But you know in Canada they whether it was because it was at home or what it was it was. They just um, they believed themselves from the start of the game. Didn't fluster when they went 14-3 down. Didn't fluster again in the second half when they went down, and just kept playing their game. And um, you know, the way they carried ball, the way the forwards carried ball in particular, and the backs really linked a lot better together. So, I think probably what they'd say they've learned about themselves more in this autumn is that they've got to believe in themselves more. You know, a lot of these players now have been in the team for two, three years. They're not there for making up the numbers are there on merit so they've really got to um, yeah, believe in themselves not just be happy to be playing international rugby but believe that they can compete believe they can win games and uh, and yeah really believe that they you know they can go into the Six Nations and, and cause, cause teams a bit of bother 
Yeah, I mean, it, 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 do you think it's still uh, a worry that you know, obviously Jade Conkel came um, came back for the Canada game? Is does Scotland still suffer when when they miss some of their big names? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously, there's now eight players who are contracted by Scottish rugby, which is you know a lot more than has ever been before. So you know, I guess it's really the team is built around around those eight, if you like. Um, but yeah, it seemed in Italy without without Jade, and you know, it was Lisa Thompson's first game as captain out there. Um, I don't know, you know, players like McCormack and Rachel Malcolm are quite big talkers on the pitch and communicators as well. So yeah, I still think there's, um, you know, if they're missing the bigger players, they kind of maybe just need a bit more leadership, a bit more kind of other players step up to the mark. But you know, with the likes of Lisa Thompson now having two games under her belt as captain, she's only 21, you know, yeah. and she's really coming on. Um, Megan Kennedy had a great game on on Tuesday. She's only young, um, and and Rachel McLaughlin at 19. If there's players of that age coming through who who shouldn't seem, didn't seem shy to be talking on the pitch and, and and leading the way on the pitch, so so hopefully others can see that you know it doesn't have to be the same players leading the way all the time. Everyone needs to be a leader out there, and um, and yeah, other young players will see see what Rachel McLaughlin's done and, and believe they can do it as well. So so hopefully that you know. That bodes well for the future. And was there anything else you think that sort of became apparent, or or that, that they would have learned about themselves over the, or we we've, we've learned about the women's team over the over the autumn? Yeah, I just think there's still a, you know, at times a lack of, a lack of game management. Whether that again comes down to relief, but um, yeah, just when they were sort of had Canada on the rack, perhaps they could have really capitalised on that. Um, but yeah, I think they'll have learned a lot from this. I think. You know, as I say, in previous years, they've never really even, most of them met up until probably late December, early January to sort of start preparing for our Six Nations, whereas now they've had these two matches, they've got Spain to come. Um, so I think they really, you know, have to realise now where they are and the support they're being given and really kind of take things to the next level. Um, you know, that Italy defeat will kind of really hurt, have hurt a lot of them because, you know, as you say, Italy are seventh in the world, but they've beaten Italy before so um, it's now just to find a consistency of performance I guess um, and that is obviously hard when you're not together as much as a squad but I think now with the support they have the homegrown players and the ones that are playing abroad from Scottish rugby and elsewhere they really need to find that consistency so I think that'll be their, their next big work on. Yeah and and is there any sort of questions that are, that are still sort of unanswered about the, the team? Um, in terms of um, the sort of team and position-wise, you know, I think there's been a quite a chopping and changing a bit through injuries and through um, other players moving away in terms of the wing spots. So I think the wing spots are probably still to be cemented down. Um, Abby Evans did very well on Tuesday night there and got a try, so 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 she'll be happy with that. The other winger, Lauren Harris, got injured. Not sure how bad that was. And the wingers that have been on the bench for the recent games are are quite new to the international stage, so. So maybe the wing spots to go alongside Chloe Rule at fullback are still to be cemented down. Helen Nelson at 12 got injured on Tuesday with a, perhaps a shoulder injury, so it depends how bad that one is. But hopefully she'll be back because she's a big a big part of the midfield. And and yeah, up front, I think Lisa Coburn's just played these two games at loose head. And that's her first two caps. Megan Kenny at tie head, she's got maybe five or six caps now. So um, they both played well, but there's still obviously opportunities there. And, at times, Shade's moved Shade Conk- <laughs> Jade Conkle to the front row. So maybe front row, and obviously Deborah McCormack still to come back in and be the main 
sort of line out colour in the main second row, I guess. So yeah, there's still a still a lot of um, a lot of things to be decided, I guess, heading into the, the Six Nations, but I guess that's what these games are for. It's quite interesting that Spain games maybe a couple of weeks before the Six Nations starts. So I guess that's really they're almost looking at I would imagine the Six Nations starting with that game out, I would think. Um I don't think that'll be a game for experimentation. I'd imagine that'll be a game for this is how we want to want to go into that tournament. So um yeah, interesting interesting times ahead. Yeah. Um the the, the one thing I was I was interested to when I was watching it is the um obviously the the, the tries that three it was three of the four came from the forwards, didn't they? And it was it was that that question about whether or not um, that Scotland women are maybe over reliant sometimes on the forwards, and there might have been opportunities to sort of spin it wide after drawing Canada in a bit. Is that do you think that comes down to game management maybe? Yeah, I think so, and I think you know because they will have always, as they were growing as a team the last couple of years, play play to your strengths. The yeah, you know, the pack has been pretty strong with 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 Jade sort of leading from the front. Um, so yeah, I think that is one thing they can try and build maybe more into their game is. You know, a bit more, a bit more reliance on the backs, or a bit more, a few more moves in the backs that can kind of, yeah, stretch defences out wide rather than round the corner, round the corner, um, and just that composure at, at key times when you're in the, I think some people call it the red zone. I mean, I think they showed against Canada, they, you know, with four tries, they they have found a bit more composure. But previously, there's been kind of handling errors at that stage, or you know, almost people don't want to be the one that makes the mistake rather than wanting to be the one that scores. You look at the way Chloe really runs from fullback. She obviously got that confidence. So, if, and if the other backs can try and, you know, get to that level, um, you know, then it gives them a lot more options and a lot more firepower in terms of how they're going to score their tries. And and any other sort of questions that are still sort of unanswered or or or, or, or Scotland still have to answer during the Six Nations? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess now they just want to take it to the next level. As I say, they won two Six Nations games two years ago. They won in Ireland last year. Um, it's it's going to be very tough when you look at the results. You know, France beating New Zealand in the autumn tests there, and you know the other the other countries obviously getting stronger as well. But you know, this is all building towards the World Cup, uh, twenty twenty one, which is in New Zealand. Which you know Scotland didn't qualify for the last World Cup in Ireland. They really need to qualify for this World Cup if they're wanting to, you know, keep the growth of the game going. Um, you know, because there's a lot of other women's sports that are now kind of growing as well and clamouring for attention. So. You know, they really want to get this World Cup. You know, obviously there's young players like McLaughlin coming through. So it, whether Shade brings in another cup, I know there's Evie Gallagher played sevens in the in the summer, and she's kind of 18, 19 as well, and can play. I think she plays back row, or she can play centre as well. So it'll be interesting to see if he has one eye on the the future in this Six Nations and brings another couple of under 20s players, or if he sticks with the tried and tested. Um, but yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see what the levels like in the Six Nations. Because I think all the all the women's squads are now getting more support from their unions, and um, and yeah, everyone's got one eye already on this on this next World Cup. So yeah, hopefully no no more backward steps like Italy, and hopefully this this level of the Canada performance is, is carried forward. Yeah, it was interesting. I was looking. Um, the obviously there was a bit of um, saying about the other unions. The RFU were sort of uh, looking at um their contracts recently, and I think they've now given pro contracts for all 28 of their internationals and Scott Hastings was saying back in September that, that Scotland maybe need a paradigm shift in order to compete that we've got the eight professional players but maybe something more drastic needs to happen I mean we had a question I, I sort of asked asked listeners for questions for you before um, before we came on and, and, and um, it was Paul Johnson was asking whether or not you thought it was more likely 
that the women's game would would come on if if all the international players were professional. I mean, there's no doubt that the, you know any team will come on if everyone's professional. I just think it's a it'll be a case of, of resource and and and, uh, and money really. I mean, uh, you know, two years ago there wasn't any professional players when Jade became the first one. There was then four. There's now eight. So I think it's been a you know a great a great boost from the, from Scottish rugby to, to do that. I mean, I think a lot of other players will certainly be. You know they're in academies or they're in programs now that they weren't in two three years ago in terms of they're up they're in the gym they're doing sessions the homegrown players all meet once a week um i think it's a tuesday night they all meet um you know to train the best 20 25 players so so there certainly has been moves in that respect you know the sevens team really came on in the summer there as well i mean they they, they kept their place in the in the sort of rugby europe uh, trophy top table which was which is quite impressive given they just been promoted the year before. So, yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously to help with, the, with more players being professional or being contracted, but at the minute, I think the eight is pretty good. And I think um, it's just really those eight players, you know, really helping the others move on. You know, I know it's tough for some of them because they're playing in France and they're playing down south. So they've not got as much contact time with the, the Scottish based players. But I think it's as much as they can sort of pass on tips and, and I think it's just a belief thing for the whole squad to believe that they should be at this level and they can compete. You know, I think gone are the days where, like the men's team, you want to plucky losers like perhaps they were against Canada. And, you know, although they got a lot of plaudits for that, it still hurts to lose games. So hopefully they take that performance, but the pain of defeat and really just have belief that they can they can compete with, with these other nations. Okay, Gary. Well, well um, that's been uh, really interesting to talk to you about that. We, we'll maybe catch up with you again in the uh, in the new year, just before the the Six Nations. But uh, thanks for joining us. That's great. Cheers, Gary. Right, Sandy. Um, yeah. This week, I'm not going to force you to talk about the Munster match, um, and it, <laughs> it didn't look like you 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 were up for for um, writing about it either. You've done sort of a, I mean, it's not really a mid season review, but more of a sort of a, a progress report for Edinburgh so far this season. Um, it. It's been a mixed bag, but overall, you seem to be fairly optimistic still. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's more a case of there's still a long, long way to go in the season. Um, admittedly, you know, the next month, uh, two months, will be uh, uh, pivotal, but I don't think there's any point in being uh, completely doom-laden at the moment. There's, there's been some good rugby played, um, there's been some bad rugby played, and, and then, then there's been circumstances, so... And they've all contrived to leave us where we are this, at the start of the month. But as I say, um, you know, pivotal time to come up. And if we can, uh, if we can get some results in the next month, I mean, I would suggest that two out of four. I know Richard Cockrell was talking about three out of four for the Heineken Cup, but if we can manage two out of four over the, the two games against Newcastle and Glasgow, i.e., probably the two home games then I think most would be reasonably satisfied and it would still give us a chance to qualify for the the, the second stage of the Heineken Cup. So that's, you know, it's a glass half full time, really, to be honest. I mean, do you, a lot of people on uh, social media after the Munster game were sort of being particularly a bit sort of harsh on Richard Cockrell saying that he, he shouldn't have put out such a weakened side. But I mean, you've, uh, you, as you highlighted in your pit, please, there's eight, 18 players out injured for Ember at the minute, is that right? Yeah, it's something like that. And then when you add add into that category, I mean, I don't know whether they, whether he was in, instructed not to play Scotland internationals. Um, I think the fact that Glasgow didn't play any of theirs as well maybe tells its own story. Um, but you know, you add the two things together, and 
I think we're down to you know uh, third choice or fourth choice in the second row. Um, uh, perhaps you know uh, fourth choice in the back row. Um, so it's uh, it's I mean it's a perfect. I think I saw somebody describe it somewhere as a perfect storm of um, uh, of injuries and uh, you know people being rested in order to stop in order to keep them. Uh, Fresh for for weeks coming up, so I, I, I have no problem with what I did. I mean, it, it, it would have been hard to go there anyway. I think uh, you know, to suggest that we went without intending to win, I think, is, a, is very very unfair. Um, we're not the only side to have treated an away game um, in the Pro 14 as a as a kind of uh, um, a lost leader. So it, it's uh, um, it's just circumstances have led to that. I mean, the, the turnaround between uh, Dragons and Munster was supposedly five days, but I think the team probably got back home to Edinburgh in the early hours of Monday and were off to, off to Ireland on Thursday. So it's it's not even five days, to be honest. It's five days between the games, but travel, etc., you know, you're looking at four and a half, four days. That's a lot to ask. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's come out today, I think, that that wasn't... Uh... That was purely down to the Dragons as well. I think the the broadcasters, uh, Pro 14 organisers, um, and Enbred all asked for it to be put back um, either to another day or to earlier in the day. But it was it was Dragons that were insisting that it was the the late kickoff, which seems um, it, it seems mad to give a a team that much control when everybody else is in favour of moving it. Yeah, my understanding was that uh, the kickoff was scheduled for one o'clock, um, and then fairly late on. Um, at the request of the Dragons, it was changed to a tea time kickoff uh, to accommodate travelling supporters or, or something of that nature. But uh, uh, and uh, that uh, obviously Edinburgh just asked for that not to be the case, but um, you know we're, we're overruled. So you know you've got to, uh, names of breaks. You've got to go with it when it happens and do the best you can. Um, I, I mean, there's no doubt that the result against Dragons was just poor rugby. Um, uh, the, the, they should have been able to win that game. They were close enough to it. Even even playing as badly as they did, um, they, they came uh, pretty close. Um, uh, so there's no excuses for that particular game. It's just what it leads to in the way that it falls on to, the, to have to go to a, a, a really difficult place as, such as Munster. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, Richard Cockrell played quite a few youngsters at the weekend against Munster. And you, you were sort of touching on the likes of... Uh, you know they've got Hodgson, Hunter Hill, Miller, Atkinson, Taylor, and Baggett. Um, I mean, we were talking about this idea earlier in the season about there being a sort of Scotland 2.0 waiting in the wings, and you've got the likes of George Horn a part of that. Um, you know Blair Kinghorn, the sort of team that's maybe going to be put together post 2019 in the yeah. run up to 2023. I mean, the the players that are coming through at Embra. I mean, do they Kinghorn aside? Probably. Um, do the rest of them look like they're, they're up for it? Um, I've seen a wee bit of Callum Hunter Hill pre-season games and, uh, uh, and what have you. And certainly the, the, what I've seen of him, I think he, he can go on to, to do well. Uh, the others, I have no reason to think not. Um, particularly, I mean, I thought it was a, not a bad, a pretty good cameo by uh, George Taylor in the uh, in the backs in particular in, uh, at Munster, although you know, in, the, in the end they're hiding the in the second half, I thought his contribution was was certainly worthy of note. And, and there's nobody there that you would have said, let's be honest, you're not going to rule them out at this stage. I think the, the, it's probably too early to tell 
whether they'll be successful club players or whether they'll just go on and or then go on to have scholarly careers. But uh, um, I think the, the the exposure they've had over the last two three weeks uh, will certainly give us a, a better idea uh, because we'll be back to this situation again in uh, during the Six Nations. Yeah, I mean uh, it's it, so. Yeah, the interesting yeah. thing was I didn't I didn't see much of the Ember game, but I was watching the Glasgow game um, against Scarlets, and they I, I, it's hard to know because I suppose outside Glasgow have a much uh, much more depth I think in their wider squad, but but Glasgow have always seemed to have been able to bring in younger players, and and at the minute they've got Robbie Nairn and Stafford McDowell who seem to just be able to come in and hit the ground running, whereas Ember in the past have maybe always struggled with that, um, and the you know, their younger players have sort of come through more gradually. Do you think that's just down to not having the, you know, a wider squad depth around them to ease them in? Uh, I mean, it's, it's the size of the squads are, I think, broadly similar, but I mean, I, I, I know it's the quality probably more that you're, you're referring to, but I think what's happened is that, I, I mean, certainly uh, under Richard Cockrell, there's been times when I'm sure he would have wanted to have brought in uh, one or two, but, you know, previous results have not, Gone in our way, and a and a win has become more crucial than 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 necessarily uh, blood and new players. I mean, you take. Uh, I mean, it's only really been through necessity that some of these guys have had a shot. Um, I mean, at the start of the season, uh, we, we kind of probably expected to see Charlie Shield at some point, um, but I mean, it's almost been exclusively uh, Henry Purgos at scrum half with very tiny, tiny cameos by. Uh, either Fowles or uh, Kennedy and, and Shields has been a, a spectator throughout, you know. So, and I think you would have, you would want to probably give him some time, but I think as you know, the season started with two defeats on the road, um, meaning the third game was a game was crucial to win. So, and then you know, and, and that's just that kind of we've always been playing a bit of catch up this year, and which has not helped to be able to. Um, give the time to these guys. I, I, I mean, I saw Stafford McDowell as well, and I thought he was very, very impressive. So uh, um, I've seen him a bit with the under-20s uh, when he was uh, during the, I think the last World Cup it was, uh, and uh, was impressed then. So, you know, that, that's definitely a, um, a, 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 you know, a, a fill-up for Glasgow to be able to bring in somebody that, uh, who's, as you say, has hit the ground running right away. But... Uh, we're not. Uh, we're definitely nowhere near as uh, um, in that position at Edinburgh at the moment. That's for sure. Yeah, I suppose I, I was thinking. I was looking at um, you know, in, in the, comparing the second rows. You've you've got two inexperienced second rows for Edinburgh, but you know, Glasgow were able to bring Scott Cummings in again, alongside Tim Swinson, and it's maybe those. Well, I suppose it's that the Edinburgh have never, sort of, apart from maybe Ross Ford, they've never really held on to their established players for as long as Glasgow have. Um, Probably just because of the the way that successive coaching regimes have have worked, and it's maybe you know uh, early days for Richard Cockrell to sort of try and build that stability in there. Yeah, I think so. And I mean, what you would want would be obviously to to have you know to have Grant Gilchrist. I'm talking about second was to have Grant Gilchrist alongside um, a Hunter Hill or a Hodgson, but you know to then have two guys you know out of the academy. <laughs> Basically, you know, um, being your starting second row against uh, one of the best sides in the league is, you know, there's nobody there really to, to for it to be an example. You need everybody wants to play with somebody you, you can look at and say, right, I see how he does it. 
uh, some good lessons to be learned there, but uh, I mean, they've really just been thrown in at the deep end um, without having that luxury of an experienced man alongside them. And uh, I mean, but uh, I mean, I, I think we should have. We, obviously, the situation would have would have been we should have had that um, because you know even if you take Gilchrist and Toulouse out of the equation with the away with Scotland, we should have had uh, Fraser McKenzie. Uh, um, and then, you know, again, talking about players of the same sort of potentially the same sort of level of experience as, as Scott Cummins, you lose Carmichael's to, to come in there. But with both of those injured, we were, uh, we were pretty much uh, uh, scraping at the bottom of the, well, no disrespect, I'm scraping at the bottom of the barrel when it comes to trying to actually put a bum on the seat, never mind actually, you know, competing in the second row. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting. Um, I'm only I'm only referencing Glasgow just because John and Ian aren't here, and I feel I I need to sort of uh, keep that end of things up. Um, I, I was watching um Nico Matawalo a lot in the Glasgow game, and and he was he had a lot to do with George Horn, and it was really interesting. He was almost sort of coaching him on the field, and like you said, Embra haven't you know they haven't got that luxury scrum half, have they? They haven't got somebody in the ears of Kennedy Fowles or, or, or Shield, you know, Pergos is there, but he's, you know, I, I suppose fortunately for for Ember at the minute, he's probably fourth choice for Scotland, so you, you, you're likely to have him during the Six Nations, but th- there isn't the same competition in such a vital position. You've maybe got competition at 10 now, I guess, but but nine still, th- there's nobody pushing Pergos for a starting berth, is there? No, I, and, and it's fairly clear from selection through the season that... Uh, that uh, Richard Cockrell has, you know, has no real faith in the in his backup nines other than Henry. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, I am not, I don't have it to hand, but I don't imagine the minutes that he's given to uh, uh, to Fowles or Kennedy on, on matches even where we've had the full squad available have, have added up to very much at all. Uh, and and it's it's quite it seems quite clear to me that he's not. He just he just doesn't rate them and I'm, I'm fairly sure I heard them say something along those lines without being too disparaging to players that he was going to have to use uh, uh, towards the end of last season but uh, um, I, I don't know that this is the, the, the situation is the, what he would have wanted um, uh, you know, I'm sure he's happy to have Henry as an experienced player um, uh, Scotland International I have no problem with him personally in there but uh, I think we would have looked for a little more depth, but uh, I don't suppose he was able to get everything done in the one goal that he would have liked to have, because um, uh, it was a—it was certainly the debate went on for long enough as to who was going to come in. Yeah, I mean, it, we'll look ahead to this weekend then, and you've got uh, Newcastle Falcons coming up. It's. I've, I've I've had a look today and it doesn't look like John Hardy's coming back to haunt you because it doesn't seem like he's registered for Newcastle to play in Europe. Um, but uh, is that I, I mean do do you think that's a game that's winnable for for Edinburgh this weekend? Yeah, I, I think so, and and, and it's a, in a lot of ways it's a shame that we won't uh, see John. I mean, I I noticed I, I saw that myself that he wasn't going to be available, and it's a, uh, in a in a way it's unfortunate because it'd be nice to see him back, um, but it's also because he started the last two games for Newcastle and was named in the, uh, um, uh, in, I think it was the Observer's Team of the Week for the, the uh, Gallagher Premiership last week um, with 18 tackles as they, uh, when Newcastle sort of managed to overcome, uh, I think it was, uh, uh, I can't remember, was it Northampton, I think, at the weekend. Yeah. Uh, with a, in the kind of 89th minute, I think it was, um, so yeah, it's a shame. But uh, 
Yes, to answer the question simply, yeah, we, we, we can. Um, I think it's not going to be, it's, it's not a gimme by any manner of means. Um, we've got a, we should have full strength side injuries apart to, to select from. Um, Newcastle, whilst they're top of this, this group, um, are also bottom of the Gallagher Premiership. So, whilst I don't think they'll, they'll exactly be, they'll not you know, neglect this, I think to a certain extent their, their, their priorities may well be slightly elsewhere. I think that's always going to be in the back of their mind. Yeah, I suppose there's there's the news today that the Premiership might be ring fenced, so I guess they might be hoping that actually becomes a thing. Um, but I mean, yeah, yeah, because I suppose you're going to have all your internationals back at Embra. Um, is I mean, is there any uh, injuries aside? Is there any position in at Embra at the minute that that worries you outside of scrum half? I think it, it, it standoff is is an issue because I think as I said to my piece on the blog, we, we, our two standoffs both have qualities. But unfortunately, the, the, they're complementary qualities. You know, you add them together, you get one probably really good standoff. Um, <laughs> but uh, but apart, the, the, you know, one one plays very uh, very very flat and breaks the game line. The other one plays deep and has got a great boot. Um, but between them, you know, I mean, as you you may have saw last week, I mean, there was some uh, uh, Van der Waal had some real howlers from the boot. Um, you know, in the dying minutes of the game against Munster, uh, which you, you thought you know they could have could have potentially been looking for a you know a third or a fourth try in order to even get to get something out of that, he missed touch completely on a couple of occasions. But then the previous week, uh, uh, Hickey was just ineffectual and, and influenced the game in any way, shape, or form against Dragon. So it's that that is I mean that that's I mean. It's just standoff and it's just scrum half. I mean, it's not really important positions, is it? To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's the two most vital ones. Yeah, um, but uh, it's probably where we're where we're struggling the most. To be honest, it it was interesting because. Um... Uh, when Jason Baggett was signed, he was signed as a standoff, but he's been playing inside centre most of the time. Is that right? Yeah, that, uh, when he's appeared, I mean, he had a pre-season. The, uh, I saw him at uh, uh, when he played at Megatland. Uh, he had a wee a wee crack cameo there, but yeah, they've they've used them more at uh, more at centre. Um, and I'd, again, I'd, I can't you know I don't know why that is because it's a, you would like to think you would give him a chance in his preferred position if you're going to. Use him at all, but uh, um, that's the way. Um, one one player I did want to ask about because he was playing at number eight this weekend was Luke Hamilton, and a bit of a debate on Twitter um, last week. When I, I I think I just said I, it was good to see him being used at eight because I think he's got potential as a ball carrier. And when he was when he signed for Leicester, his defensive pedigree in the proof the top fourteen was 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 superb. He was supposed to have a very high tackle rate and. He seemed to be one of the players that came out of that Munster game with some credit. I mean, do you? A lot of people have said he's, he's a very good club player, but maybe not international level. But but you seem to rate him, and I I, I think he he he's still got the potential to do very well for Scotland. Yeah, I mean, I was I, I was kind of in the undecided category when he joined Edinburgh. I I wasn't convinced at the time that a we needed him and that b that he brought anything extra to the party. Um, but over the piece, he has been. I mean, I mean, Bill Matter figures aside, which you know nobody can compete with. Um, he has been, I think, he's been outstanding for Edinburgh. He's, he, he has um, always committed, which is a, 
a minimum for anybody who plays for uh, a Richard Cockrell side. Um, uh, and his tackle stats and, and carries are always good. And, and I was actually, before the match against Munster, I was actually pleased to see him as he was named as captain as well, because I think he has, I, I, I think he's a half decent eight. Is he an international eight? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Um, but he, he can certainly do a job for Edinburgh uh, all along the back row. Uh, and in the absence of certainly in the absence of uh, Big Bill, he, can, he, he, he does a decent job at eight, um, and he'll always he'll always get 110 percent of him. I think he's just one of these guys that um, that runs through walls uh, if he gets a chance. I mean, he's got, obviously got plenty of examples at uh, Edinburgh in the back row, and it is a competitive place when we're you know when we've got the when everybody's fit um, in an Edinburgh side. But I think he. You know, I take my hat off to him because I think he's done really well, and and he certainly turned my thoughts around uh, since he's joined the club. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. Um, the we'll we'll, we'll very quickly just mention um as we move on um our song for Scotland update. The, the, there's a lot of public support for rewording when you say nothing at all. Um, for the Scotland World Cup song that we're campaigning, we're going to start campaigning the new year to get the RSU to record a World Cup song for Scotland. Um. When you say nothing at all, reworded uh, seems to be the front runner. Uh, Gareth Hill got in touch to suggest uh, that we change it to "We play it best when Pete Horn's on the ball," which might cause controversy in some quarters. Um, but I did check Rugby Pass, and he's still uh, rated as the number one inside centre in the world. Um, we are still keen to get your suggestions for this, so do get in touch on the comments if you've got any ideas for a World Cup song for Scotland. Um, we'll. Uh, try and put something together in the new year probably more like a sticky plaster than band-aid but um that could be a good idea for a band name actually the sticky plasters um we'll um we'll move very quickly there we'll we'll, we'll do hands in the ruck then sandy um it's your first one what what's what's had your hands in the ruck then this week um yeah believe it or not actually uh, it's the uh high tackle thing um i know it's a it's you know it's becoming almost uh, a, a bore now that it's been, you know, we've heard about it so often, but um, the Alex Allen's sending off last week for Glasgow, just like, I, I just found that one, you know, admittedly it was a, a correct decision by the referee, but what, what I didn't like was that it was described, and I, you know, because this is the way it should be at the moment, as serious foul play, and having watched that, you know, a number of times, I thought to myself, he had no time to adjust to do anything at all there. It was that you know the the, the the circumstance happened, and 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 before you knew it, it was over. Um, I don't think there was there was clearly no intention on the guy's part to to harm. Uh, the outcome was what the outcome was. But I just think we we should maybe be getting to a point where we can differentiate between you know a, a deliberate act of foul play and that uh, in this circumstance and something that's just you know inadvertently there'd be no way that you could. You could avoid it. I mean, it was very similar to the the Parisi one earlier in the season when he was. Uh, um, I mean, again, he had no no opportunity to adjust. Um, uh, I just think it was exactly, and it's just makes a mockery of the thing to me. And I, I get myself worked up about it all the time. No, I'd agree. I, there was actually that was my I had that the that as well. I mean the. The interesting thing about it is in in that that Glasgow Scarlets game, there was another two. I mean, you know, Scarlett's got yellow carded for persistent infringement at the 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 ruck, but 
aside from that, there was at least two incidents where a Scarlets player should have left the field, at least on a yellow, if not a red. I mean, one at one point, a Glasgow player was taken in the air with no, and there was no attempt, no the the player the Scarlets yeah, player wasn't looking so at the ball one. at all, yeah. and that's a straight red by the letter of the law. And I think that's where I come down on it is is the way that it's being applied is is inconsistent. So you either have to say to referees. You have to start applying this consistently, and it's a red every time. And you need to start giving reds every time. Otherwise, as a referee, we're going to start reviewing your performances, and we'll get another referee in who will apply the letter of the law. Or they need to change the law and start introducing, like you were saying, a, a sort of a secondary consideration for the referee to to be able to say that it's a, bring something like accidental into the equation, which is what Alex Allen's was. You know, it's yeah. it's body position. It's not deliberate. He adjusts admittedly slightly the wrong way at the very last minute, but it always looks worse in slow motion. I, you know that that was if you introduce something like accidental, it's not a deliberate act of foul play. It's a yellow card rather than a red card. Um, it, it it would still discourage players, but then what you wouldn't then have is the inconsistency of application from referees because they can give something for it. And I think it's it's that they're being told to give reds for this sort of thing is what's holding them back. Yeah, and, I, and that's the other thing I'd written. That, I mean, the, it's just inconsistency. And, you know, if you watched any game now, you could probably pick out a dozen of these. And if we, and if we sent off everybody um, that, you know, technically to the letter of the law, we'd be playing, you know, six aside and. I mean, I understand the need to, to, to lower the tackle height. And, if you, and that's one thing that when, when, you know, it's a collision sport. And if you're going to have, you know, you know people will, I mean, in that particular, take the Alex Allen one as an example. Um, the uh, uh, Jake Ball was on the way down. He had actually been tackled. I mean, I think the guy's about six feet seven. So, you know, I think for Alex Allen, he had actually shouldered him in the head. He had to have been you know, considerably on his way down to have, for that to happen, and there was so it, it's just that you know if it's not men, then how what how is it an act of serious foul play? That's not to me those two things are inconsistent. If you didn't mean to do it, and there was you know and there was no huge recklessness. I mean he was standing, he pretty much stood his ground, and that's you know and was ran into. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to do anything about that at times, and that, that that's what it's like. You would like to think there would be some. Kind of um, short of serious foul play, technical foul play, perhaps. So I don't know what you would want to call it, and and a a a a, a, penalize, a, a penalty for that 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 uh, kind, of, uh, kind of marks it up to be what you know for what it should be, rather than a red card every time. Because you know, although it, I think Glasgow are always going to win that game, um, it, you know, it certainly changed the game, and 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 if had some of the other ones that you mentioned. It could have changed the game even further. Um, there you go. It's a it's a bugbear. <laughs> yeah, I mean the other the other strange thing about the um, Alan red card was the fact that Jake Ball, who was taken off for an HIA and didn't return, I don't think, um, w- was on the pitch telling the referee to review it, which is ridiculous to have a player on, you know, who should should be off for an HIA, and the referee was, you know, the referee was indulging it as well was going over to him saying oh yeah I'm going to review it and uh, you know the, the player should be off the pitch he should be dealing directly with a captain uh, it, we shouldn't have players 
you know, it's sort of stri- straight into sort of football territory of players sort of like going, you know, stumbling on the pitch with a, you know, a head knock saying, referee, I want you to review that. It's not, yeah. Weaving imaginary red cards. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, no, um, I think that's that's definitely something. The other thing um, I, I like this weekend, um, John Mul- Mulville the, uh, has come out and uh, moaning about inconsistency of refereeing in the Pro 14. And it was interesting, I was watching the highlights of the... Um, Cardiff Blues game and um, I think he was moaning about one of the yellow cards and it was a straight shot to the back of a player without the ball, off the ball <laughs> player off the ball um, which is you know probably a borderline red actually yeah. um, it was such a dangerous hit but um, yeah so I I think consistency is it's not I don't I think I was thinking about it today and I think consistency in the Pro 14 is always going to be hard to achieve because you've got we've now got four unions so that's four different sets of referees, and we know in the Six Nations there's such different interpretations from a French referee to an English referee to a Welsh referee to a Scottish referee that you, you I, I don't necessarily think we're always going to get consistency in the Pro 14. I think the better teams are the ones that are going to be able to adapt to whatever referees coming in with a sense of what referees in, say, Wales are doing compared to referees in Ireland, compared to South African referees. Yeah, and I think it should be. I think given that that's always going to be the case, I think as you're preparing for the week and you know who your referee is going to be, I think that's got to be something that that is in your in your armory to say you know if it's whatever if it's uh, Stuart Berry then you, you we need to know this or if it's you know or, or if it's Nigel we need to know this this is the way that he does this so that you can prepare accordingly. I mean it it shouldn't be that way. But that's the reality of the situation. They're, 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 as you said, they're all they're coming from from different places and different backgrounds and different uh, refereeing unions. So, um, uh, for goodness' sake, even within even within one union, there's enough different interpretation in the laws. Um, but you know, you add in that extra factor, and it just becomes quite uh, uh, you know, very very different, to be honest. Yeah. Well, well, on that point, uh, Sandy, thanks, thanks for joining us this week. Um, it's been well, good. We'll uh, we'll get you back on again, probably in, in the run up to the Six Nations in January. Um, for now, though, uh, we will be back next week uh, with um, whoever decides to volunteer and whoever's free. If John stops having birthdays and Ian's not cleaning out his mother's garage like he is tonight, um, then we'll be back next week to look back at the Euro uh, Games, and then uh, the week after, we've got our Christmas special with some uh, exciting things planned. But for the moment, it's goodbye from me and goodbye from Sandy. Right.